Well, I've been um, been preaching quite frequently in Togo. Um, I I actually have never actually preached a message in Togo um, except for this last trip, uh, which was which was interesting. We purposely didn't um, didn't preach any messages over there because we we were uh, a bit concerned about. Um, some some things that we could we could set up unnecessarily, uh, and we we had a, a bit of a different way of training. Uh, but this time I got over there. We were at the first church, and Chair goes, "So can you bring us a message?" And uh, I had nothing planned at all. And I said, "Chair, can we sing one more song?" Um, so we sang one more song, and uh, we I, I quickly jotted down some things and. Uh, it was it was wonderful, and I said, "Chao, this this is not the way we 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 do it. Uh, what's what's changed?" And he said, "Well, you're a visitor now," um, and uh, so it was uh, it was it was really good to be able to go as a as a visitor as someone to encourage as well, and um, and, and just to be able to speak into the lives of of um, of the churches and and some of the leaders there in Togo. Is that working now, Chris? I'd love to have that. That would be lovely. Um, well, I've been uh, speaking in in French quite a lot over the last couple of weeks, and uh, also in local languages um, at times as well. So, over this last week, I found that I okay. Thanks. week or so, there we go, lovely. Over the last week I've found that I've been dropping um, different French words into conversation I kind of get, uh, the only recognition that I realise that something's off is that I kind of get a strange look from someone, um, not quite following me, but uh, hopefully I'll just, I'll just look out for the strange looks or, or maybe I'll just, just keep going. Um, speaking in Togo is, is very, very interactive. Um, we had people jumping up in their seats, cheering, I uh, had questions coming from the, from the floor, um, but lots of amens, lots of excitement, um, a very interactive experience. So, um, you're going to have to help me out a little bit today here, otherwise I'm going to feel a bit, uh, a bit like a stranger here. There we go, lovely. <laughs> uh, there we go, yes. Stan, you've got to get up and dance now, that would be wonderful. We're doing a series on, on worship, and uh, we've done the first two parts of it, and I'm actually concluding it off today. Uh, Matt uh, spoke the first time about uh, worship as being all of life, and uh, not just what we do here uh, on a Sunday as well. And then, um, Graham, last week, we, we, uh, I got to hear, as I said, most of it on the plane, and looking from the Old Testament of the, the heart of worship and God's presence and uh, in, in regards to, to worship as well. And today I want to talk about probably, um, probably the most quoted little phrase when we talk about worship. And uh, that is from a, from a little story that we find in the Gospel of John. And it's this interaction that Jesus is having with a Samaritan woman. And it's that true worshippers worship uh, the Father, will worship the Father in spirit 
and in truth. What we're going to do there is we're going to um, jump into that a little bit this morning and, uh, and ask, what is it to worship the Father in spirit and in truth? One of the things that stood out to me most in my trip in Togo um, was the importance of prayer uh, for the advancement of the Kingdom of God and uh, for, for victory in our, in our personal uh, Christian lives as well. That just kept coming up uh, again and again and again. Uh, I saw that, that little notice come up on the back there about praying for our Christmas and I, I decided to actually leave it because I didn't want it to get mixed in with all the other notices uh, because there's, it, it's possibly the most important thing that we can do in uh, so many things in regards to the fourth and our Christmas carols but the thing that kept coming again and again in Togo is that the thing that makes the lasting difference, the thing that makes something just more than an event to something that can be truly transformational in someone's life is when God's people come before Him and pray. So the week before um, the fourth, leading up to that, uh, we're going to have some, some prayer times uh, here in the church to pray specifically for our community and for that event on the 4th. So that's from 6am till 7am uh, every morning up until that event. Uh, so if you're able to come down uh, for, for one of those, all of them, or maybe even half an hour then, it would be great to, to see you. Um, it'll be in the chapel on, uh, on those mornings a week before our Christmas carols. So let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we just reminded by my brothers and sisters in Togo who were just so aware by the importance of what we're doing now. This privilege of being able to speak to you, Lord, as our Heavenly Father, that your ears are open to us and that you speak to us. So, Father, we come confidently before you now because of what your Son has done. We say, Father, would you, would you work in your people's lives today? Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to, to speak into our lives. We ask that you would take these words that have been recorded, especially for the encouragement and the guiding of your church. And we ask that you would take them and that you would apply them to our hearts and lives. Would you speak to us, both as a church and as individuals this morning? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in John chapter 4, we come to this story where Jesus is traveling through this little area in um, Samaria. He's on his way uh, towards Jerusalem. And uh, the, the journey is, um, is, is hot and he is, he's tired. So what he does is he, he sees this well. And uh, he sits down beside that well, and he says to his disciples, he sends them into the town, uh, which, is, which is really close, and says, hey, go and uh, find some food for us, and he waits there. And when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? It says there, for, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gives us this well to drink from it? As did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. He told her, Go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, is that you have had five husbands and the man that you are now, the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, they worshiped on this mountain but you Jews, they claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Dear woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. That's what we're going to be focusing on today. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Well, before we dive into that last little part there really in verse 23 and 24 about what it is to worship God in spirit and in truth. Um, what I want to do is I just want to give some, some context to this story and some of, this, some of the context I want to make three points uh, in regards to the context. One that I, I really want to affirm and say yep absolutely. Another one uh, is something that I, I want to challenge a little bit and then I just want to add something um, to the context that we've heard in the past as well. So what I want to affirm first of all and uh, in the little bits in, I br uh, in brackets kind of really um, set home this point in that this interaction with Julia, uh, with not Julia, um, <laughs> wow, it could be interpreted so many different ways. This interaction with um, the Samaritan woman and Jesus, there is, um, there we go. It's unusual. Um, really, really unusual. So three things in which it's unusual. The first of all is uh, that it was a woman. Uh, that was unusual for a guy who was single, um, alone, to be 
talking and communicating with a, a, a woman in, in public, but also in private there because no one else was around. That was very, very unusual. Next, we had someone who's a Jew speaking to someone who is a Samaritan. Uh, the text tells us as well that that was, that was not the done thing. Um, so both we, we have a, a woman and a Samaritan with a Jewish man speaking, and, and that, is, that is strange uh, culturally. Also, what we have here is that he asks her um, basically to serve him. He, he, well, he, he asks her because he's in need. He, he, he needs a drink, and he asks her for a drink. Now, that is, that is unusual as well because um, if he would have... Uh, touched that water, he would have been ceremonially unclean, and there would be um, some repercussions from that as well. So instantly, the disciples, when they come back as well, the disciples, they recognize this, um, and they're trying to work out what in the world's going on, because they realize that something strange is happening here. And and this is, this is very, very intentional. Jesus is making a, a, a very, very clear point here. Remember, in the, in the passage just before, he'd just spoken to Nicodemus, and uh, Nicodemus was, was kind of the, I guess you could call him the pedigree of, um, of, of Jewishness. He was a, a Jewish leader, a Jewish Pharisee, he was an expert in the law, uh, and then we have a Samaritan, which is whatever the opposite from pedigree is, um, on, on the other end of the spectrum. So Jesus, is, his, his mission is being wide open right across the board. He's come for all people, not just um, the Jewish people. So that's something that I, I, I absolutely affirm. Yes, it's, um, it, it is unusual that Jesus would have um, spoken to this woman in the cultural time. He is, he is definitely making a point here. Now, there's something that I'd like to challenge a little bit. And, and that is, uh, normally when you read past, uh, articles about this, um, the, the article often has ad adulterous um, uh, right, right across the top. Um, sometimes it's even found in, in some of the, the added texts in, in some of the translations as well. Now, now what, we, what we don't find here is anywhere that it actually, that Jesus condemns her for her sin. Uh, we, we actually don't find anywhere that it explicitly says that she was an adulteress. The, the reason this really came up for me is because this is one of the, in Togo, it's one of the main passages that um, our early Christians go through. And it, it was intriguing to me to see the response from them every single time because they're from a culture that is much more similar to this ancient culture than what we're in now. And, and whenever they heard this story, there would always be like this, this visceral kind of moans in, in their faces. And, and it wasn't out of disgust, it was out of deep pity for this woman. Because you see, in, in, in their culture, which is very similar to the culture which, um, which this is written from, uh, women had very, very few rights, uh, especially to be able to divorce, and it was a, it was a, a complex process, and it was almost always initiated either um, by the husband or, or um, she, she, she may have had multiple husbands uh, for, for a variety of reasons, not necessarily and probably unlikely because of infidelity. So we, we have a, 
a woman who is, is broken. You, you, you have five marriages, and there's brokenness that comes with that. Um, it, is, it is not easy. Why is she with a man that's not her husband at the moment? We're not quite sure. Um, it, it may have been that uh, after five husbands, that fifth person that has taken her in said, I've seen what happens before there. I'm, I'm not interested in, uh, in, in marrying you at that stage. We're, we're not actually, actually told there. But it is, is possible that um, we, we know that this is a, a lady who is, who is deeply broken. She's a lady that is broken but is thirsty. Really thirsty, not just for, not just for water, but she's thirsty spiritually. You, you can see that in the interaction that she has with Jesus. Um, when, when she says stuff like, uh, Jesus, the, the water's deep and you have nothing to draw the water with, she's not silly, okay? She, she's not a, a kind of not understanding what Jesus is saying. She knows exactly what Jesus is saying. She, she knows that Jesus is trying to teach her something at a, at a deeper spiritual level and he's using this metaphor for that. And basically what she's doing there is saying, Jesus, tell me more. Tell me more about what you're saying. We just have, um, we just have Nicodemus doing the same thing with Jesus. When he says to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Remember how he says to, to Jesus, uh, how, what can I do? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb? Uh, he... He's an intelligent man, incredibly intelligent. And what he's doing is staying in the same plane as where Jesus is at, and it's in the plane of metaphor, and he's asking for deeper questions. There's something else that I, I learned uh, on this trip as well. I sent back, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, that um, one, of the, uh, one of the main chiefs became a Christian. Now, that conversation, it went for uh, over an hour, and uh, we were talking about the gospel. But we didn't talk about it in the ways that we normally talk about it. We talked about it through story, mainly through the story of um, Jesus being the good shepherd and, and, and what that meant. And it was interesting. So often I wanted to step out of that story and kind of we're, we're more comfortable in the abstract and speak about that story from, from like an observer and give an explanation for that. But every time that chief responded, he took me back into the story and asked me a, asked me a question within that actual story. Because there's something that he understood, and there's something that Jesus understood. It's, it's with these spiritual concepts that story and parable actually helps us to get to the real depth of what's going on there. And this is what this woman is doing. She is, she is not silly. She is, she is engaging Jesus in the teaching that he's giving. And she's, she's basically saying, tell me more, Jesus. I want to know. She is, she is really, really thirsty. Then we get to the part that, um, that we're focusing on this morning. Dear woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 23, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
for they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. That's um, it's really important. Jesus pretty much refers to this three times. Um, spirit and truth, spirit and truth, spirit and truth. It's the type of worshippers that God the Father seeks. He seeks those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. And what, what's really important for us, I wonder even as we've, as we've gathered here together, have, have we been worshipping in spirit and in truth? I, um, I wonder what kind of answer you would give to that, how you would justify that, how you, how you would understand this. And I would assume that there's actually quite a lot of confusion here. Um, my, my hope is that there would be a resounding yes, but I suspect that there's a little yes, and I think we are, but I'm not quite sure. Because I, I actually think that this passage is, is, is a passage that is one of this, this little phrase, I, I, I search worshippers that would worship me in spirit and truth. I, I actually think that it's, it, is, it is one of the most powerful passages in unifying the church. And it's actually been used uh, often in, in kind of worship wars at times to separate us and, and to kind of uh, to have confusion in, in what it's actually talking about here. What often happens is we take these two little words, we take truth and we take spirit and we, um, those who, who talk about it often, they, they add all this baggage onto them, but I just don't think there was that much intended baggage there. I think it's, I think it's really quite um, simple, but also deeply profound. And let me, um, let me go into that. So what does it mean? For one to worship God in spirit and in truth. To understand that, I think the best place to go is just one page back. If we go one page back, it might be two pages in your Bible, we get to chapter 3. And we have this uh, really interesting interaction with Nicodemus. If you've seen The Chosen, uh, that is just an incredibly powerful interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus. It's well worth getting that online if you haven't seen that yet. Um, it just, um, it treats that interaction so amazingly. So he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Then Jesus gets straight into it. Jesus says to him, very truly, I tell you that no one can see the king, the kingdom of God, unless they are born again. Here's Nicodemus. Now, remembering this is, this is one of the top intellectuals, the top leaders of Jerusalem. He knows the Torah well. He knows the prophecies well. He is not a silly man. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb to be born. 
Uh, he's, he's going, he's, he's walking with Jesus on this metaphor and he's going, tell me more. I want to know. Tell me more. I'm not, I'm not getting it. That's true. But tell me more. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. It's really important there. Unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. What he's talking about here is this, this marvel of what takes place on us, that, that we were once dead and we are made alive by the Spirit of God. When we come before him and we say, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore, I'm not doing my way, I've tried my way of doing life and it doesn't work, it doesn't bring that, that deep sense of satisfaction and peace that I so long for. And I'm not doing the way that that is presented in in the the world that that we should live by. Jesus, I I hear what you're saying and I see who you are. And Lord, I want to follow you with all my life. Jesus, I, I thank you for what you've done on the cross in giving me access to the Father. When we do that, something supernatural takes place. Our, our heart of stone, we, we, we are dead in a sense, and he gives us life. We are, we are, we are revived by the living spirit of God. And, and that spirit dwells with us. That, that is absolutely revolutionary. When Jesus came and he came to, to bring the spirit of life for anyone that would believe in him, that changes everything. When this, when this lady, when this Samaritan woman, when, when Jesus is telling him that God desires those that would worship him in spirit and in truth, but we're looking at spirit here, these are people that have been made new by the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. So you can, you can absolutely go, yes, this is, this is us, this is me. I worship in spirit because I serve the living God and the living God indwells me. After that, he has this conversation with Nicodemus and then there's just a little bit of a strange passage in there. We, we jump back into John testifying about Jesus and um, What's happened is, is John and his disciples are baptizing people. Jesus is, um, is with his disciples and they're baptizing people. And his disciples, John's disciples come to John and say, what's going on, John? Um, everyone's going to Jesus. Uh, they're, they're, they're not quite getting what's going on. And to this, John replied, A person can only receive, this is verse 27, a person can only receive only what is given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's uh, voice. The joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. He's talking about Jesus. He must become greater, and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as, if one, as, as one from the earth. 
The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the word of God for God, gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath will remain on them. Just have Nicodemus being told that he needs to be drawn again. We have this passage from John uh, saying in the end there that we must believe in Jesus to have that life which Jesus talked about um, with Nicodemus about. We must accept and not reject the Son. This is the truth. This here, that, that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the truth that, that they were waiting for. In, in Jesus, Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. In Hebrews, it says, um, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. If we want to see God truthfully and really worship God truthfully, we worship him through the lens of Jesus because Jesus reveals to us the true character of our God. We gather here together as people under the name of Jesus, as people who see God through the lens of what has been revealed to us through Jesus. That's truth. This has, this has absolutely massive implications for that Samaritan woman. Because there, there's coming a time where people will give their lives to Jesus and they'll, they'll be made new again. And there's coming a time where the full revelation of who God is will be shown to people through the person of Jesus. And we are living in that time right now. So do you see how, how this verse has been used at times to kind of divide us and, and it's, it's a verse that should be used to absolutely unite us. There's people all around this planet right now who's worshipping in different ways and different styles and different languages and in different churches, um, and yet they're all worshipping in spirit and in truth because they're worshipping God through the lens of Jesus being made new by the Holy Spirit at work in them. When we gather to worship together, we worship in spirit and in truth. Before the team comes up, I just want to take a couple of added points from this passage. Both for Nicodemus and this um, Samaritan woman, their focus was on Jesus. When they were in his presence... It was, it was almost as if the world didn't exist. The, the surroundings around them didn't exist. It was, it was, they were captivated by him. When, when we come to worship, our attention needs to be on Jesus. Our attention needs to be on the Father. It's, it's probably the, the one thing that can, can, can rob us of worship is when our attention drifts off the main one who we've come to worship. 
our, um, our society is, is trying to uh, monetize and, and steal our attention at the moment. Everything is trying to steal our attention, distract us. It was interesting as I was talking to, um, I had a, a sitting down with two of the leaders and they were talking about the way the enemy works. And they spoke, I think, prof prophetically and maybe with a word of knowledge. And, and they said to Phil and I very clearly that the way the enemy works in Australia, not knowing anything about Australia, is he will distract you from what is good and what is most important. It's very overt there. It achieves almost the same end when he distracts us from what's good. When we come together, our attention needs to be on him. Um, there's something special about when God's people come together and worship him. And uh, it's true that, that all of life can be worshipped, um, but there's something special about when his people come together. And there's spe something special about when his people sing together these, these marvellous truths about our God. Um, could I encourage you to keep your attention upon him? So often, I think Graham shared a story last week about rating stuff. Um, so often what we can do is, if we hear a song that's a little bit too old or a little bit too new, our attention can come off him and we steal from him when we do that. And we steal from others around us when we do that. I heard a, a beautiful, um, just a beautiful illustration when I was in, I was, we were in the very last village that we went to visit. It's in an unreached people group, but there's a number of other people groups that have come to, to reside in this area as well. There's a brand new church there, it's about six months old, and they were meeting under a little tin shack that they'd built. Um, when Chayo was last there and did the training, there was five people, uh, the entire village is now the church. It's, uh, it's, it's raced around that village. And it was, it was really, really, really interesting what I saw there. There was four different languages. Could you imagine that? Coming to church with four different languages? People groups that weren't getting on very well together are now worshipping under the same roof. Uh, when I preached, I was preaching in French and then it got, pre uh, it got translated four times after that. And I was, I was intrigued. Um, what I was particularly intrigued about was the way in which they were worshipping. Um, because they were going for it. In, in every one, I, I didn't see any reserve in their, in their spirits, in, their, in, their, um, in their, their hearts of worship. And I think I turned to the pastor, Simon, and I said, how does this work? Like, there's four languages here. How, what, what language are you doing this in? Because it wasn't French. Um, and, and what they were doing is they were singing um, some from this language, some from this language, some from this language, and some from this language. And they were all, they didn't want God not to be worshipped just because they didn't know the language. So they learnt the song and they sung with gusto because they cared not only that God would receive worship, but that their brothers and sisters that actually speak that language, that it would be a special time for them as well. The thing that really got me was they're writing songs at the moment because this unreached people group 
don't have any songs. And the majority of songs that they were singing were actually the songs of this unreached people group. And um, the majority of people weren't in this church at this time weren't the unreached people group. But they were singing the majority of those songs because they're, 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 they have such a heart that that people group would come to know Jesus, that they prioritise those songs so that they would feel comfortable in coming and hearing about Jesus. It has some implications and some applications. So there, um, our attention needs to be focused on our Lord when we come to Him together to worship. Uh, do you know how that, the Samaritan woman, she... Um, she starts talking about where should we worship Jesus? Should we worship uh, in, in, on, on this mountain over here where they've had to put a temple? Or should we worship in Jerusalem? Where's the right place, Jesus? What, what's the right place? And, and Jesus kind of circumnavigates that answer and he just kind of says, uh, no, it's, uh, it's totally changing. It's, uh, yeah, it was about place and it was about um, style and it was very stylized, the worship um, in the Old Testament. But uh, he, he's, he's turning it right around and basically saying it's about uh, your relationship with God and it's about heart. And um, I said Laurie. Um, Graham spoke about that a bit last week. Our heart is so important, so much more important than uh, I was meeting with churches under trees, uh, under big buildings, under small buildings. Uh, we're worshipping here in Australia. There are churches worshipping him in all different styles and manners and ways all around, the, um, all around our country today. And what God is looking at is, is not style, it's not the building, he's looking at our hearts. See straight through to that. I want to end with this. There's a contrast between Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman. You see, Nicodemus there, he was someone um, of, 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 of status. He was someone um, of pedigree, in a sense. And we see that he came to meet with Jesus. So, so he actually, he, he came to meet with Jesus. And, and every single Sunday, uh, we come together to meet with Jesus, we come to him because we, we know that it is, the, that is where life is found and we know that something takes place when God's people meet together. So we come to meet with Jesus. But what, what we see in the Samaritan woman, she wasn't coming to meet with Jesus. Jesus came to meet with her. And that's a, uh, it's, it's wonderful the way Jesus does that. He, 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 will, he will meet with those who seek him out and he will also meet with those who are also thirsty but don't even know that he's there and he will come to them. It's lovely to hear the way that happens many times but it also happens to us here as well. Sometimes we come to meet with God, we come to meet with Jesus in this place and he meets with us in surprising ways. And that's a, it's a delight when we've come to meet with him and then he comes and sits right next to us in a special way. You are a people who worship God, worship the Father in spirit and in truth.
And, and we join with many millions that will join on this day to worship him in spirit and in truth. Lots of languages, lots of different places, different styles and different forms, but we join with many, many millions who have been made new by the living spirit of the Holy Spirit, who have put their faith in Jesus. And not only put their faith in Jesus, they worship God through what they know about him in what's been revealed to us through Jesus. So let's, um, let's stand. Jeremy, would, would you come up with the team? Jez, uh, as I was listening to that song, 10,000 Reasons, um, I wonder if we might be able to end with that today. Um, let's stand as I pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you as your people. And Lord, this, this word that you said to this, this lady beside the well, you said that you desire people who would worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, that is, that is now our identity if we follow and know you. So Lord, we come to you. We come joining with you, with the millions of, of your other followers around the world, and we come to you worshiping you in spirit and in truth this morning. We love you and we bless you. We thank you that you've come to meet with your people this morning. Come near to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.